I am so thrilled to be chatting with my dear friend Alma Mikulinski for this episode of Nocturnal Transmission. Alma and I have known each other since... I believe it's past 15 years now. Past 15 years. Uh, Alma is a storied art historian, curator, smarty pants, very kind person um, who has lived in many places all around the world. And we're very glad to have her in Toronto for the time being, hopefully for the next little bit. Yeah. It seems that currently this is the, yeah, this is this the is, place. This is the but place. again, like there has been many stops. So yeah, who knows? And uh, when I wanted to ask you, when I asked you to be on this podcast, you were like, well, what are we going to talk about? I'm not very interesting. And I have a, I, I'm going to push back on that. I think you're very interesting. And I don't even know where to start, except to say that, um, uh, how are you today? <laughs> I'm not bad. Actually, this is a lovely, lovely break in what I thought was a very busy day. But luckily, something got canceled, so we can have a, a lovely chat in the middle and, of the day. And, and how so, are you, Ryan? Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a day of uh, reflection for me. I, I always appreciate these conversations because it's an opportunity to uh, hear other people's stories and then, you know, you align with your own and then you're like, oh, an adventurer. But um, I mean, we should probably just start at the big one, which is that you have a, you arranged a, um, a little exhibition at a small museum. Tiny. In La... London, UK, um, called the Tate. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? And then, or do you want, would you rather that I, I, I think you should, I think you should describe it. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so one of the things, so indeed, um, art historian, and the person that I've engaged much of my career with is a man, um, a small artist, a little known called Pablo Picasso. Oh, yeah. Um, I have, um, I want to say love hate relationship, but often it's hate, 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 hate <laughs> relationship with him. Um, but man, like the talent, but we can talk about, yeah, some of the hate or the questions around him that I'm having, because really, do we need to keep studying the work of a white man from 100 years ago? But hey, who, so who? yeah, so, so it's interesting. So I actually came to Canada to do my PhD and I kind of always knew it's going to be Picasso, which is odd because I used to say, oh, he's not my favorite artist. There are so many other artists that maybe just go like, you know, soft around the ad, uh, soft around the knees and all, you know, goo goo and so forth. Like artists that really speaks to me and with Picasso I always felt this like intellectual distant. Yes. Um, but yeah, but like I've, I guess I sort of um, combination of ambition when I moved to Canada. So I'm Israeli libraries in Israel are sad, very, very sad. And I remember coming to Robarts for the first time and I was just like, blown away like yeah. just the like the library system is the is the largest in Canada and the fourth largest in North America but I think yeah. one of the largest in the world in, in yeah it's mind-blowing and at a time that I think I mean I haven't been inside a library in oh. over a year yes but but yeah but it's um so when I got to Canada I was you know young silly very ambitious uh, and I was like, I want to do work on the most important artist of the 20th century. Why? I have no idea. I had, yeah, ambition, basically. Yes. And it was sort of like any mini, mini, mo and Picasso. It was Duchamp or Picasso. And I felt, yeah, I don't know why. Maybe because Duchamp I liked more. So I was like, oh, 
so irrational and tells you probably weird things about me. But I was like, I didn't want to work. I want, I want to work about the one that, that will not like, yeah, blow me away. Let me do the hard. Uh, yeah, they, I'll convince myself. I'll, I'll do the hard. Is this, a, is this like an insight into your personality? I'm going to do it the hard way? I think I wanted to keep art because, you know, it's so weird with art. Like, yes, it's my profession. And, um, you know, most of my life, this is how I made a living. But it's also my hobby. And it is the thing that I do, you know, that makes me so happy. You know, go to a museum, experience art in the most... Yeah, just like it, 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 it expands your heart, I guess. Yes. But then I was like, oh, but I'm going to professionalize it and I'm going to capitalize on that. And it's going to be, you know, how I make money. So, um, yeah. So I think that I, I try to keep like a, a bit of a clean space. That's, that's how I explain it that to makes myself. A lot, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I saw an article. Well, I read the headline of an article. Isn't that what, <laughs> what news is now? Absolutely. And it, it, was a, it was a year or so ago. And it was about how we don't have to make everything we're good at profitable. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this case, the example was like this woman came over and she brought a cheesecake that she had made and someone to a party, member parties. And oh, so, yeah. oh my God, this is so good. You should sell them. And she had this visceral response that was like, can't I just love something? Isn't that enough? Yeah. Um, and just the joy of giving it away, something that I'm good at. Yes, me yeah. too. Oh. Yeah. Um, and now I want cheesecake. Yes. So, so I, my favorite kind of cake. Okay. Noted. Yeah. Noted. So, so yeah. So like, but, but basically like I got lucky. That's the whole, so I found like a whole, you know, Robarts shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves of like Picasso books. Um, but I was able to find an area in the research that was untouched. Mm -hmm. Um, so I created a name for myself around that. Again, today, when I, if I were to describe it, it would be, it's so niche, Ryan. It's like, you know, <laughs> so niche, like a corner of a corner of a corner of a corner in his, uh, in his work. But yeah, but it allowed me to create like a name for myself. So like um, some of the, the things, niche. oh, the niche. So, so not everyone knows that Picasso is also a sculptor. Um, so, and because it's Picasso is like, he created thousands of sculptures because, you know, everything he does, he does, you know, with a band, um, abundance. Mm -hmm. um, but I was interested in the fact that Picasso, who was a media whore, um, did not exhibit uh, his sculptures throughout his life. So uh -huh. never, ever, ever. It was like his thing. He never sold them, like kept in the studio in a box. Oh my God, but it was his cheesecake. It was his cheesecake. Very nice. But he did decide because being Picasso and he was interested in like, you know, exposing as well as hiding himself at the same time. Um, he allowed photographers to come in and take photographs of his sculptures. So for the large, well, for all of his life, mm -hmm. um, yeah, people only knew about his photo of his sculptures through photography. So that was my dissertation and sort of like the assumptions and misconceptions that come out of seeing stuff in a photograph as opposed to you know, in 3D. So for example, oh my God, this is so much smaller than what I thought yes. it is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, so that, that was my niche. Um, but yeah, but like the, the, the Tate project actually started with the few, like when I said, oh, we never exhibited a sculpture, there were, there were like two or three occasions when he did. Um, and one of them was this huge retrospective that um, he curated for himself when he turned 50. So sort of like life started to dawn on him. Um, and he had this opportunity to have his first museum show, something enormous, 100 and something works. Um, 
But in this huge exhibition, which was a huge flop, by the way, oh. he showed five sculptures. So that's how um, I was involved in the Tate. So it was interesting because it was both, so it was a huge show that was called 1932. And my work was reflected in two areas. One of them was around the photo photographs of his sculptures at the time. So there was a big room that was my own, um, my own research. And then, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, the London trip. Do you remember travel? I remember travel and I remember you going and remember you telling me about going and I remember asking why you were going to London. And you said, oh, I have an, um, some work is being exhibited. And I said, well, where is it being exhibited? And you said, oh, it's in a museum in London. And I said, which, which museum? And you said, yeah. the Tate. And I don't, I think like I, something dropped or like I fell down or. Now, I have to say something amazing about you, Ryan. Uh, you know, as a human being, you know how to celebrate others. You're such a good friend. And you also know how to like. Yeah, not only celebrate, but recognize moments in which the other person doesn't know how to acknowledge that something big is happening. Uh, you know, I tend to play down. But yeah, it was a big deal. It was, um, yeah. It was you a know? big deal. It was and, a big deal. And I have a... And it was a beautiful, beautiful show. Like, I just couldn't, I, you know, it was like, really, um, he produced some of his best art in this moment and just going through, mm. you know, and seeing all of these things together in one room and knowing that I'm part of that. Yeah, it was like even the opening, like, you know, you see people there, they are all like glitzy. And I was like, oh my God, we're part of the glitzy crowd. Like, yes, yeah, because yeah. they flew you there for the opening, right? Yes, yeah, oh. it was amazing. Yeah, um, yeah, I, so yeah, so it was like a really satisfying moment, but that was already like a couple of years now. Yes. I still feel like this by far has been uh, like, you know, the, my biggest professional accomplishment. I'm just blown away. Um, well, and you, and you, you were published in the, the book yeah. of that exhibition. Absolutely. Uh, which I have. And, yes. Um, but since yeah, it was then, also, it yeah, was also cool because yeah, like, you know, um, remember um, like you're speaking in securities and uh, whatever, like the grad student syndrome, like that's mm -hmm. one of the things like, oh, you know, someone will come up with my research. Someone knows more than I do. Um, I think it really disappeared the minute that I got my PhD, but there was something of like coming of age with this exhibition um, mm -hmm. in London, just realizing, yeah, like I'm in the big league now. Yes. Um, and that's a big deal. Yeah. And, and since then, you've written a book um, about a, now, you're going to have to correct me. He was, mm. he was Israeli initially. No. So, yeah, we're talking about Cyril Etrog. We are. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't mention the name. And I was like, is it trivia? So, I yeah, know. So, no, he was it's actually. Like in the blanks. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, Etrog was born in Romania. Romania. Um, he okay. had a couple of years in Israel. Um, and then he came to the U.S. to study. Um, got super lucky. Um, as he was like schlepping his art from one gallery to the other as a very poor art student, he happened to walk into a gallery where Canada's largest art collector happened to be, who Hello. also happened to be a big Zionist um, and just like a huge fan of modern art. And he just like recognized the, um, the modernist sensibilities in young Etrog's work and sort of like brought him to Canada. And yeah, so Etrog is like now one of Canada's most celebrated artists, um, sculptors. Uh, so yeah, so I published a book about his work um, about a year ago, just right before the pandemic. Yes. So, and I'm still, we're still waiting for that proper launch party, aren't we? Yeah, we, I'm having, that's actually something interesting because, you know, everything has been on hold. Everything has been on hold uh, during COVID. But yeah, but um, an exhibition that I've been curating for such a long time, um, I think I've started in 2019. 
Yes. So it's currently being hung at the Art Gallery of Windsor. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah, we should go to Windsor. Yes, we should. Have you ever been to Windsor? My grandmother, uh, so actually all the, all the important women in my family are from Windsor. Both no my, way. Both my mom and my stepmom are from Windsor. Oh, so, I didn't know and that. And my grandmother lived there. So I, I know it actually very well. And I'm a big defender of Windsor because uh, I think there's, a, there's an incredible uh, artistic community there and a, a charm uh, of that city. And it's often kind of overlooked. So yeah. yes, Windsor. And, and, yeah, Windsor, we should totally go. Um, and they, have yeah, best, also, they used to have the best pork ribs. And apparently there's a small Jewish community there and they would eat, the rabbis would have the pork ribs in the corner of Tunnel Barbecue. <laughs> there's like some lore around that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's fine because I know now that they have a big Lebanese uh, community, which means excellent hummus. So yeah. you see, that's, I was like, oh yes, pork ribs and hummus in one trip. That sounds like a really exciting, exciting okay. venture. But yeah, but like the, the research for the exhibition actually comes out of um, the work I've done for the book. So yet again, I got lucky. I found out um, that the artist was, as he was like having like a peak moment in his career, he was representing Canada at Venice Biennale, which is like the big, yeah, yeah, yeah in 67. So he, uh, but he was um, involved in a car accident that caused him, um, yeah, like a, a total, total loss of the car, like complete wreck. And he broke two legs, his, hand as well as a bunch of fingers which meant that like suddenly his relationship with his art making was well under a huge question mark it took him a long time to recover from that yeah and the um, the exhibition is focused on this moment as he was recovering as he was going through surgery and how this historical you know just like terrible accident has shaped his art mm. um and yeah, and I think it's also to me, it's especially interesting because it was an opportunity to think a little bit about museums and how we tend to assume who is the audience. And we, we, take, we take it for granted that our audience will be abled bodies. Whereas I've decided the curation of the show because of the subject matter and because of also political views to consider it for disabled bodies. So mm. to imagine it like hung lower, for example. So not to think like, oh, off, you know, a standing man, because often, you know, it's always we think about the white man yeah. um, and, you know, their height and how to orient the show in relationship to this. So to think about accessibility. Wow. Um, yeah. That is in the way in which the exhibition is hung. Yeah, it's fun. Um, it's really fun because also like the, the museum there has a new director and she liked the idea so much that she's curating a whole cycle around these ideas of accessibility, disability, and how are we to treat our audiences? So, yeah, that's oh my a fun gosh, one. Look at you making, so you're a big deal making like huge waves in the art world and, well, and all know. remotely at this point. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting though, because really COVID was such a, um, yeah, a big one or is a big one. Yeah. I was working, so yeah, so there is a museum in, in the prairies mm -hmm. um, in Saskatchewan and Saskatoon um, called Ramey Modern. This amazing, amazing, um, relatively new museum. I think it's four years old that has been out uh, with an incredible agenda and so forth. But also um, the donor who built the museum, Ellen Ramey, she also donated a huge collection of Picassos to the museum. So the result is that in the middle of Canada, um, there is a complete run of Picasso's lino cut prints. So a series of something like 400 works. Wow. 
yeah, a com like everything is found wow. there. Um, but yeah, nothing that is something that is not really addressed or talk about even in, within the Picasso world is not very known. So I was planning for over a year, um, a symposium there, which was supposed to happen in May, 2020. So you can imagine what happened with this. Yes. Project. And it was not really happened. cool because the idea was to bring, you know, key Picasso people to become ambassadors um, and fly them to Saskatchewan, which is not a small ask. No. I mean, even no. from New York, like no direct flights from anywhere. Um, right. Saskatchewan. So yeah, yeah um, and that of course that has like after a year of work that has not come to fruition. We at first we postponed and then we've decided to cancel. But yeah, but the, also the implication like what you said about remotely, please call me naive and old-fashioned, but so much of the um, in my life um, the most meaningful experiences and encounters with art have been not on a screen. Yes, they were in person. Yes. and I think this is a world. I mean, think about even theater, um, live music. Yes. Uh, I feel the the arts are you know suffering greatly. Yes, in and, a way that. Yeah. And, and do you think there's a way out? Do you see like a do you see uh, relaxation, especially in America, because uh, they seem to be kind of blowing their doors open? Um, so you mean vaccine? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just feel like the every country is going to have their own kind of uh, unfurling. But do you see um, indications in the gallery world and in the, the museum culture and in the art world that people are eager to um, restart these things? Or do you think there'll be a change where symposia, like you suggest, will be online only? I, I got an invitation now to participate in um, at a conference in Spain. So okay. they're, doing, they're doing a full in-person experience. Okay. So I think, I mean, it's so interesting, like in the past, like, oh, conferences, this is so boring. Who wants to be stuck in a room? So suddenly it has an appeal again. Yeah. But also, I don't know, the ease of like, yeah, Zoom, albeit being so far from the genuine. Yeah, the real thing, like yeah. having a conversation one-on-one -on -one with a person you love, like you, Ryan, <laughs> yeah. would have been so much better, on, you know, in a park yeah. or... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. Although um, we can we can arrange for those kinds of conversations to happen without, uh, you know, not for the podcast. Sorry, listeners. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it sounds so it sounds like you have some hope. I know that there was uh, so much uncertainty and and, um, you know, in my work, I was working remotely, but mm -hmm. you were working suddenly all of the things that you were programming, everything that you were working on was Kind of dashed before your eyes yeah um and even things something that we talked about before so when COVID started i was like okay i mean i just published a book this is a great opportunity to start new research mm -hmm. um so i can talk about the technical difficulties the libraries were closed so having to found, <laughs> find you know the ability to to get access to resources that was super hard yes but also um finding the inner energy the mental i don't know uh Frank enthusiasm to the focus to dive into something new. Yeah. That's super hard when yeah. you don't, you don't have the usual context, the things that makes you excited, make you thrive. Yeah. So this book is not being written. Yes. The one that I've started in like April, May of 2020. Is, is, is uh, it's on hold. Let's just say it's on hold for now. Very sweet. And so I have a, a, a new project. Um, 
So I used to live in Hong Kong for two years. The Amazing. Best, most funnest period of my life. So, but I was reached out and was asked to curate this enormous show, something that, you know, like it will start in Hong Kong and then we'll have four stops in China. And because we're talking about China, it's like, oh, there are, you know, like millions of people, literally millions of people will see the show because, you know, if you're a country of billions. Yes. Um, but yeah, but yesterday, so I need to do, I have a deadline today. I need to um, submit something. And one of the things that I'm doing was like, I looked at an old photograph of one of Picasso's studio and it's a wall basically of portraits. There are something like 30 portraits that he created of his partner at the time. An incredible artist in her own right, uh, Dora Mar, like, whoever listens, Google M-A-A-R, -A -A okay. like the most talented, beautiful photographer, like sensibilities and talents from here to eternity. Unfortunately for her, she crossed paths with Picasso and her, so much of her fame and reputation was attached with him. But I was, so I was doing this like detective work. So I was sitting with this photograph and trying to like find, you know, from the grainy black and white photographs, trying to recognize which are those 30. And uh, I've enlisted my seven-year-old. I was like, hey, she's into detective stuff. I was like, could you help me? You know, let's try to see. Could you recognize that? Um, and as we're looking and doing this research, I tell her that I was like, oh, so, you know, Dora Mar, all of these there actually doesn't look this way, but they're all portraits of this one person. And as we're looking, I'm also showing her there are many. So Dora Mar is the weeping woman. So one of Picasso's most memorable icons of grief, of pain. It's an image that then appears in Guernica probably his most important piece from the 30s. Um, and I'm telling my daughter, I was like, listen, um, actually, he was not a nice human being. He was very mean, you know, to this, to this woman. And that's why you see so many pictures of her um, crying. And my daughter, like, getting angry, she was like, but why? Why, like, if he was mean, you know, if he was unkind, if he was, you know, honestly, a terrible human being, why are we still? That was not her question. But like, and this is the larger question that I'm, I'm struggling with is why do we give so much attention, you know, to someone who's like politics, morals, all of this is just stand in such a great conflict with so many things mm -hmm. I believe in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, and I don't have a good answer for that. Have I devoted 20 years of my life to this? Yeah. Terrible, terrible human being that the only thing going for him is as you know, I said it before, like incredible creativity, mm -hmm. um, immense talent, but like, yeah. A lot of people that we know are sort of famous for being uh, abusers and mm -hmm. racists and all kinds of things. And, and we justify them by saying, oh, but they made such pretty pictures. And as you're saying, you know, with Duramar, you know, who, who is associated with them that we are ignoring, who also did amazing work, you know, and, and what does the attention that we're giving in one area take away from uh, notable and, and very deserving other people? But I think these are questions. These are new questions. Yeah. No, I was trying to think, like, can I imagine the history of 20th century art without Picasso? Like, is his contribution is one that could, I mean, I don't believe in censorship. I do believe in, you know, context. Uh, and understanding that some of the things that were, I guess, for, forgivable or allowed, you know, 100 years ago, today will just be appalling. Yeah. Um, one of the criticisms in the net was the fact that, um, yeah, right before Dora Mar, Picasso engaged with a long relationship, basically with a minor, 
Um, she was like, let's say, 16, 17 when they met, Marie-Thérèse Voltaire. Um, and they were together for 10 years, but again, abusive relationship, like truly abusive relationship. And still we like the beautiful, you know, the, the 1930s exhibition that I was involved in, in at the Tate, mm -hmm. that I was like some of the best work that he ever done was that, some of the best work were of this woman um, right. that he tortured. And then you're thinking, you know, the, the beautiful image on the cover. Uh, and when he put it into context saying, but she was 16 at the time, he was right. 50. Like, exactly, it's pretty gross. Huh. Pretty gross. Um, and yeah, and try to imagine the history of 20th century art. Without him. Yeah. On I one mean, hand, it's, liberating, it's, I guess. I mean, I was having a conversation with uh, someone younger than me and they, they didn't know anything about this. Well, they knew about the Spice Girls, but they didn't, they didn't know about- What? Uh, no. That, you know, I've gone to a karaoke bar, and I mentioned this in my first podcast episode, where people did not know Brian Adams, everything I do, I do for you. Wow. History- Lucky them. I, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> history, but history is written and rewritten every day. And I think that we have an opportunity to kind of present things in a different way. And, and for me, I wouldn't know kind of the origins of what I'm looking at unless someone were to tell me. And the way that I hear that information is going to color my perception. And so I think it's possible. I think it's possible that we could, we could certainly look at art without it being centered around some of the famous jerks. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, but I also think that we can, we can move forward without canonizing new artists who come out, who are like, we can, we can look at, beautiful, creative, intelligent people who have great politics, who are, um, and, and have them as the central characters in the art that we study going forward. And I guess know, it also depends, like when you think about what is your, I mean, what is the job of the historian? Is it to recreate a world as it happened at the moment it happens or to try to, I guess, like- Contextualize it for right now. Yeah, or, yeah, or to do it with the prism and perspective of the present. Um, yes. it, yeah, and I think like if you because we all know that like the ability to actually like recreate, I guess what happened 100 years ago to it's 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 a fallacy or a fantasy. Yeah. To say yes, we can access, you know, the 1930s, its norms, its convention, its you know um, culture, as it originally was was untouched with our preferences, ideas. I, I think that's impossible. Historians yeah. often claim to be able to do that. Yes. Um, but yeah, but also not try to shape the past in our own eyes only? Yes. Um, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Because I do think, you know, we're coming, hopefully we're coming better as a society. I'm not always- I'm not always that's certain. That's the case, um, <laughs> but hopefully. Yes. Ah, so much to think about, but now that we know you, I mean, we know you have a, a daughter, so we know that she is going to be uh, a very creative, intelligent, and critical thinker. Do you want to mention um, the present that you gave me to turn into? <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> the the book. Well, I mean, maybe maybe I'm the reason for her detective future because I gave you the book Where's Warhol, um, which is a playoff Where's Waldo, and uh, and she still yeah. read that frequently before bed. Yeah. Yes. No. It's just so funny. Like it really becomes like, especially the you know. Um, the more raunchy episodes that you need to find Andy Warhol, yeah. As, yeah, in the middle of like, she loves it all. Speaking of celebrated jerks, you know, Andy Warhol, but um, 
Although I don't know, I don't know a ton about him, but I imagine he was uh, somewhat of an unsavory personality. But, uh, but you know, yeah. we just we have to just do our best, and I think in our retelling and and uh, how we situate ourselves, and I think that anchor doesn't give away all of the power to these other yeah. figures, you know. And also, you know, to be super conscious, um, like these things don't happen in a vacuum. I mean, I'm aware that, you know, those a couple of the projects that we mentioned beat on, I mean, there are also clear market forces that are at play mm-hmm. when it comes to, so every time I write an article or a book about Picasso, there is, um, you know, so to, to imagine our world of art and academia, I guess is completely separate from the, I guess, insanity of the art market as we see it today. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the realities of like, you know, our, I mean, just think about the, the great divide in the cultural world where cultural producers, be it artists or curators and so forth are being so poorly nominated for their amazing work. Yes. Yeah. While, you know, the collectors. Um, yeah. It's just like, I just think that like, I guess some of our, the realities that we are seeing, you know, so brutally today about economic divide. They just play themselves out, even in a world when, you know, if I were to try and say, oh, no, no, this is just a historical conversation that we're having here. Um, you know, this is a phenomenon that has nothing to do with the way we live today. No, I mean, these things are impacting. Yeah, they're present. We're going to have well. to do, we're going to have to do a part two interview where we talk about the collector series that you did during COVID mm-hmm. as well, because that's uh, the book that I'm not writing, or as you said, um, it's yeah, on hold, putting on hold. On hold. It was interesting to to hear the criticism because you also had people that were you know mm-hmm. fancy collectors that were attending these these yeah. uh, Zoom calls and very interesting that that you would present and I think this is you know to like bounce some praise back at you this is kind of the the voice the freshness of your voice is that you challenge people not to see things just as they were but um, to incorporate them into how things really are for us now and and to find a balance. And I think not claiming to, as you say, recreate history as it was or recreate the story as it used to be, um, because that's impossible, bring it into, uh, uh, contextualize it, give people as much information as you can, including some of the the nitty gritties and some of the the details that many would choose to forget and and allow people to come to their own realization and, ultimately, I think, question the very world in which you thrive. Yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, like museum, we tend to take them, you know, are, I, they, they just, they are the tastemakers. And we find ourselves then realizing, wait a minute, the reason why they, I mean, this is the taste that we now have and developed is because, you know, certain, certain collect, collecting choices of a bunch of rich, influential people who then donated their collections to, to the institution yeah. that then we visit. So there is a, a cycle there that is just like, it should be acknowledged. It's not like, you know, a word, word of God, not that there is a God, but like <laughs> there were decisions and choices and yeah, conscious conscious effort of certain individuals to make their taste. Yes, and to, yeah. to shape and to shape our society and culture and our yeah. world. So, which are no small things. No, absolutely And as we not. say, those things are not canceled. They're just put on hold for now. So I, yeah. I like your approach. <laughs> that was lovely, Ryan. I, I was like, hmm, what will we chat about for a half hour? But <laughs> And then here we are. And we have more to, I, I guarantee you, we will have more to talk about when we see each other. Um, but also, you know, maybe there'll, there'll be a call for a part two. We'll see if, uh, if the listeners want 
more Alma because why wouldn't they? Um, I so appreciate your time today. I'm very excited for uh, what's coming down the pipeline for, uh, well, for all of us, frankly, once things reopen, but also, um, you know, maybe we'll have a promo for your next book or for the actual launch of your Sorel Etrog book. Who can yeah. say? Yeah, and I was like in a road trip for you and me. Oh, yes, in Windsor, on the way. Yeah. We should do that. Uh, thanks so much, Alma, and have the, a lovely rest of the day. Thank you so much, Ryan. That was really, really fun. Thank you so much for listening and have yourself a lovely week. Until next time, bye.